This week on Out Now with Aaron and Abe, we are talking Long Shot. <laughs> Is that your Seth Rogen laugh? Yeah, that was pretty good. It must have been love, but it's over now. It must have been good, but I lost it somehow. It must have been love. We are now recording, and this is Out Now with Aaron and Abe. I am Aaron, and as always, this is... Abe, hello! Out Now is a film podcast where Abe and I discuss new movies weekly. We cover some various movie topics, jump into a mostly spoiler-free review... Then jump back to other movie topics. This is episode 361. 361. We made it. 361. We've turned around a whole circle and another degree. Yep. That's how it works. <laughs> that's, that's podcasting for you. It's real math. Yeah. yeah. And this week we're talking Long Shot, the new comedy slash romantic comedy slash political comedy featuring Seth Rogen and Charlie Theron. And joining us this week for Longshot, we have from Slash Film in the Glow Flicks Yourself podcast, he's looking to go from podcast to TV to movies, it's Bradford Oman. Hey, that's me. That's a big jump. Not many not many people have successfully made the jump from podcast <laughs> to TV to movies. Also joining us from the Next Best Picture podcast and nextbestpicture.com, made, he made it his way to this podcast via helicopter, it's Matt Neglia. Hello, everyone. How are you guys doing today? Feeling pretty good. Good. Good to have you guys here. Brad, good to have you back. Hooray! (laughs) And uh, Matt, good to have you on for the first time here. Happy to be here. Yeah, always good to get new guests on the show. And uh, yeah, we'll... uh... Well, we'll see how you fare, and you know if if you you know if it sucks, we're just gonna kick you off completely and pretend you never on the show. But if not, wait, we've... what? <laughs> the rules have changed. I know. Yeah, Doggy it's, dog it's world. Real, it's real cutthroat around out now these days. Yeah, the the world really changed when Aaron found all these Infinity Stones. He's he's changed quite a bit. Yeah, we get and here. We I thought of... I was gonna get a Revenge of the Fifth pun. Yeah. <laughs> There's still time. Um, all right, let's uh, let's get let's get some show notes going real quick. Uh, first up, iTunes reviews and ratings. Good to get those. Helps out our show. If you like our nonsense, if you like our show, go on to iTunes. Go search for out now with our name. Give it a give us a star rating interview. Thank you very much in advance. Yeah. Uh, what else? Uh, commentary tracks. We had one last month for Avengers. That was a lot of fun to record. This month we will be doing a commentary track for the 1954 Godzilla. That will be recorded soon enough. But yes, we are going to be talking about the original Godzilla film uh, for this month's commentary track. Um, what else? Uh, the Summer Campbell is in full swing. Still pretty sure Avengers is going to win. I think that's a pretty safe bet. It's made a lot of money. I mean, Ugly Dolls was close this weekend. but Was it really? I can't tell if you're being sarcastic. I haven't I mean, looked at the very, box office. Very, very sarcastic. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I was like, maybe, maybe the kids really drove out to go see it. The kids drove. <laughs> I mean, not not enough for Jay, that's for sure, who has it on his list. But, yeah, there we are. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. Those well, Brits. Let, let's, uh, there, there's two things to uh, two people to go over here. Uh, we, lo- we lost a couple this week. Uh, John Sing- Director John Singleton and uh, the actor Peter Mayhew, Chewbacca himself, both passed away this past week. Um, you would think there's no connection between the two. That said, John Singleton was a huge geek. Like... In addition to being an accomplished Academy Award-nominated director, he was a huge nerd. Like he loved Star Wars, he loved all kinds of things like this. I, like he, that's something I've, I'm very aware of about him. Among the other things that he's accomplished through his career, and it's not that being a geek is an accomplishment, but that is something that's a part of his personality. In addition to just being, you know, an accomplished filmmaker who is able to break certain barriers and do a number of different things. 
And then you have Peter Mayhew, who obviously is legendary for playing Chewbacca. Um, so, yeah, they uh, sadly both passed away this week. So just wanted to put a shout-out there. rest in peace. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, moving on. Let's um, let's get to some uh, know everybody. Each week we ask each other a question or two, try to set the tone for the podcast, I better get to know everybody. everybody. That was good. Pretty speedy. After a week off, you know, you always, gotta, I always have to wonder if it's going to be a good one or not. That was pretty good. And you know what? You haven't done everybody with us for a couple weeks now because we didn't do it on the Summer Gamble episode. So, Oh, yeah, yeah. well, now we know everybody. Yeah. <laughs> you got a question for us? <laughs> I do have a question for you guys. Uh, if you guys were going to be wearing a hat all the time on the screen, would you wear it frontwards, backwards? Or maybe even a Kangol hat like what they mentioned in the movie? What kind of hat would you wear in a movie is what I'm asking. I, I actually am known for wearing a hat uh, quite often, and it's a... That's part of why you're it, on this it, podcast. I'm like, you got to get mad at yeah, He's known for those it, hats. It, He's the Mark Riley of the podcast. He's going to wear that hat. It's a very out-of-touch fashion hat that uh, a lot of people have told me over and over, like, you need to get rid of it. It's basically a beanie with a visor. A uh, like a, like a, like a like, lid, oh, yes. essentially. I like those. You know? And everyone always tells me all the time, like, nobody wears those. You're, like, the only person I know that wears them. And I go, I know. That's the point. <laughs> like, nobody else will be able to, you know, mistake me for anyone else. So it's perfect. And I and it's always got to be black. And, yeah, I pretty much year, wear it almost year-round. Uh, it used to – I don't even know why I started doing it. But front-facing, it's got a lid. And I would I would wear it all the time. It's almost almost my trademark at this point. We found the perfect do you remember guess those from two thousand and seven? Yeah. Did, did, what was that about two thousand seven? I said I do remember those from two thousand and seven. Yeah. Well, hey, listen, yeah. bringing it back. I like it. <laughs> Brad, you got any similar hat related anecdotes? <laughs> uh, when I was in college, I used to wear like a, a flat cap a lot, like a cab driver hat. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it, mostly because I had longer hair, and it, at the time, I thought uh, it looked cool. In retrospect, it does not. It looks very, <laughs> it looks very, very bad. Um, but I still, I still liked uh, liked wearing hats like that for an extended period of time. I like it. Uh, now, now I'm not a hat person at all. I am not typically known for hats. I wear beanies when it's cold because my hair is generally shorter. Um, but. No, I don't tend to wear hats. That said, I do have one hat that I like, which Anna has convinced me to wear on occasion. I wore it all of yesterday. Is it say, uh, I'm with stupid? <laughs> no, it does not. <laughs> that's, that's not very nice. Uh, <laughs> what, what is the hat? What's on the hat? It's Why a, were you told to wear it yesterday? It's a black hat with like a gray um, front, like a, like a regular like baseball cap type oh, okay, hat um, with yeah. a gray like from like the bill is black the part above the bill that's gray and uh yeah it's just a nice it just looks for some it's reason that's like the one hat that works for me like, I don't... <laughs> anna is she's devoted to finding me proper hats but uh we'll, we'll see what happens that should be the name of a book proper hats proper yeah proper hats <laughs> photographs of like, people wearing hats yeah hey, people talk just... about wearing many hats well i wear the proper hats yeah. <laughs> hey if you just wear the hat from uh temple of doom right short round hat you just wear that one that's correct yeah, yeah. Uh, what's in there? Can you guys guess what's underneath the cap? I assume like an ace of spades or something. It's a it's a deck of cards. Yeah, you're yeah, pretty I'm, close. I'm pretty close. Okay. <laughs> I got you. I'm picking up what you're laying down. <laughs> I have a question for I you guys. I, I wish that I could like you know shout at you in, in Cantonese, but I don't know Cantonese. Yeah. What are your many flaws? <laughs> <laughs> 
I have a question for you guys. Uh, Seth Rogen, good actor, great actor. Good actor. Um, I think the thing about Seth Rogen that he's very much like The Rock, where people don't go to see Seth Rogen the actor; they just go to see Seth Rogen play Seth Rogen. So good actor in the sense that he has found something unique and he taps into it in every movie and people like it and it's made him incredibly wealthy and famous good for him great actor absolutely not i'm going to i'm going to uh, echo that answer Brad? oh is it my turn <laughs> um i i'll also say good actor although i will say i feel like he has the potential to be great when the right kind of role comes around um and it's not. It's, it's more so just because it's. There needs to be a role that like fits his. I don't know screen presence, but like him playing Steve Wozniak in in Steve, uh, Steve Jobs was different from what he normally does. And I think that even though he's not doing any sort of transformative performance in the kind of way that Michael Fassbender does, there's a clear difference between what Seth Rogen does when he's playing a character that is similar to himself and what he did when he played Steve Wozniak. Mm-hmm. I concur. I agree with that. I I would say good actor leaning on great because I do think he's turned in some solid performances when the time calls for it, depending on what he's kind of doing, much like Brad, you just said. I I tend to look at him as one of the stronger ones in the kind of Apatow pack where I know a lot of people, including the Oscars, have looked at Jonah Hill for this reason. I tend to think uh, Rogan has a little more... Uh... He plays up the nuances a little better. Where I think Jonah Hill just kind of shouts them out to you and says, "Look, I'm acting." Like that's kind of where I think sometimes. But, uh, I, I would actually go so far to say that uh, Jonah Hill's performance in Wolf of Wall Street is better than anything that Seth Rogen has done his entire career. Yeah, I actually was going to say the same thing, and I think that uh, the reason Jonah Hill is actually a better actor is because Jonah Hill is actually nothing like any of the characters he plays in real life. In real life, Jonah Hill is much more of a shy, introverted kind of person. And so mm-hmm. when he's being loud, obnoxious characters in all those Avatar movies, that is not him at all. Well, guys, I'll tell you what. If you show me a, a pay stuff for $72,000 right now, I will quit my job and work for you. <laughs> oh, he gosh. does it better. He yeah. is he, he is fantastic in that. I mean, I, I, I find myself often not quoting like an everyday talk, but I just fun, sometimes find myself remembering <laughs> certain ways he says certain lines in that movie. Like, he's like, I'll chop your fucking credit card in half. How about that? You know, like, <laughs> little things like that. I just like, how did he? And you know what? He's working with Scorsese. Can, can we see these on your uh, Instagram video stories, by the way? If not, I'd love for you to, to start recording some. I, I don't see your Jonah Hill. <laughs> R- Rogan has come a long way, too, since... Yeah. Early days of like if you if you watch Forty Year Old Virgin, man, you can tell that he is just starting out getting the hang of this acting thing. There's even a couple scenes where he looks directly into the camera. <laughs> well, That's an Abe move. I will say I think the most underrated underrated Seth Rogen performance is actually uh, the night before, just mm-hmm. because he really 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 goes for it in that movie in terms of his physical comedy more so than I think any other performance he's ever given. And I just think that that it, to have it at that level consistently throughout the entire film, I I, I, I applaud him for that. <laughs> Michael Shannon also really good in that movie. Oh my god, Michael Shannon's great in everything. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. Well, of all that, that's how you play. No, Nobody. everybody. Let's move on now. Let's get to and now quickies. Yep. Each week, not now. We have to talk about quickies. Trademark. That was pretty fast. I was happy with that one. 
was pretty good. I didn't lose track that's of the end it. Of the lot. That's yeah. the yeah. That's the key. I, I knew what I was doing. It, did, it may sound like gibberish, but I was on track in my mind. <laughs> Abe, you've been gone. You did not get to talk about Avengers with us last week. That's correct. I was over at a bachelor party and I couldn't uh, sneak away to go uh, spend three hours, three and a half hours in a movie theater, you know, with with transit and what have you. But I was finally able to catch up with it, and I, I think it's a solid addition to the uh, the movie or to the to the franchise. I think that it's uh, it wraps things up for the characters that we've grown with for the past ten years in a nice way. Um, and you know, I, I would have never expected that plot to be honest. I, I don't think that. I, I stayed away from a lot of the conspiracy theories and the Reddit boards and Twitter. I, I banned, like, or I didn't ban, but I muted tons of words that were related to the movie. And still, I wouldn't have expected what they had done in in, a, in that movie. Um, I do like that they paced it in a different way. Like, the first hour um, is kind of all, a lot about, like, survivor's guilt and PTSD. Um, and the way that the different characters handle it, it was very much uh, in contrast to perhaps what you might be thinking, which is an all-out, you know, superhero battle type thing. Um, they do get to that later, obviously, but in the first part when they get to something like that, I was pretty shocked about how <laughs> it played out. But well, that being said, I, I think that's uh, it's super solid. Um, I haven't seen it twice yet, but um, I'm probably going to go check it out again. Uh, so... All in all, it's it's been a it's been a ride. So thanks, Marvel. Yeah, well, we'll see if we if you want to expand on that more, we'll see if we do like a bonus thing or something because I did want to get your opinion on it. Uh, obviously. <laughs> did you guys go to spoilers last week? We yeah, we went full. Okay. Yeah, we we were we're still doing that podcast. We just ended it uh, a little while ago. It was, <laughs> it was a long episode. Um, uh, Matt, how about you? What what what, what movies have you seen recently? Oh, man, uh, too many. Uh, the Tribeca Film Festival is happening over here in New York right now, so I've had a chance to catch up on a lot of different types of movies. Uh, biggest one, though, is Danny Boyle's uh, film Yesterday. Mm-hmm. Uh, that introduces us to uh, Himesh Patel in the lead role. Uh, he is uh, quite good, and he has uh, chemistry with Lily James in the movie that I actually really liked. Uh, there are some questionable aspects to the concept of the story you know and just you know the concept is basically what if everybody woke up one day and the beatles never existed uh and essentially this one guy remembers the beatles so he ends up taking all the songs and he passes them off as his own and he becomes incredibly wealthy and famous and like ed shireen is in it and he gives him like endorsement and stuff it's a light entertaining film much in the same vein as something like a Sing Street, you know? Mm-hmm. It almost feels like Danny Boyle is cheating by taking this many winning ingredients and putting something together to create a crowd pleaser because it's just so irresistible. Uh, with the screenplay by Richard Curtis, you know, the likable stars and, you know, his uh, stylistic direction, the British humor, it, it's all there, you know? So it's like one of those movies where you watch and you're like, of course people are liking this right now. Of course my audience loves it. Yeah. Um, and I, I have to say it worked It worked on me as well. I know some people who also saw it. It didn't really work for them. Maybe they saw through it uh, in that regard. But uh, for me it worked. And uh, what else did I see? I, I saw Tolkien, which comes out uh, next week. Mm-hmm. Uh, review Embargo broke on that, and uh, I was not a fan. And uh, I, liked, I liked Goodbye Christopher Robin actually a little bit more. Uh, and they're pretty much cut from the same cloth as far as like offer biopics go mm-hmm. most recently. And uh, anything else of note? Um, obviously, uh, Long Shot, which we're going to be talking about in a little bit. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, I know I've got something else. Uh, I, this is like the part where I like open up my letterbox and I'm like, "What did I see this last week?" Because I just <laughs> refer to everything now on letterbox. Otherwise, without it, I would be completely lost. Uh, but otherwise, no, I think that's pretty much it at All that right. point. I think that's uh, that'll do it for me. Because, like I said, there's like a bunch of like indies I saw at Tribeca that. Some of them are worth mentioning, but others are probably either not going to get released or go straight to VOD. So. No, it's all good. Uh, Brad, how about you? What other movies have you seen recently? Um, I got finally got around to seeing The Curse of La Llorona, uh-huh. um, which was fine. Um, I feel like the the folk tale, uh, which has you know has long had roots, you know, in uh, Hispanic culture, doesn't really get its due diligence in this movie it's a lot of jump scares pretty uh formulaic plot um but it's it's suspenseful enough um i i feel like it didn't really need to be tied into uh the conjuring universe um it feels kind of forced by having a character in there who uh already experienced other paranormal activity with annabelle just having them in there and then making a a sudden unnecessary reference to be to the, the doll itself. Mm. Um, but I will say I did like the character of, um, of Raphael played by Raymond Cruz. Yeah. For Raymond Cruz character. Yeah. I almost wish that he was in a better movie because he's such a fun, you know, kind of, kind of badass character. Uh, and I, I, I would like to see him pop up again in the conjuring universe, um, at some point doing something better. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, let's see, I've seen a couple things. I saw this a month ago, but it finally came out, so I want to mention it now. Nonfiction. This is the newest film. Oh, yeah. This is the newest film from Olivier Asias. Um, and it's, I think it's his first, like, pure comedy, and it's certainly his funniest film. Uh, it, it feels like a French take on what a, what you'd get with a Woody Allen film without all the baggage of Woody Allen films these days. And... It's quite enjoyable. It has, among other people, Julia Pinoche. Uh, she leads an ensemble cast. It's a, it's set in kind of the literary world. Um, there's a number of couples present, all of whom are basically cheating on each other. And But that's not really the point, necessarily. It's more about the very verbose conversations they have about the presence of social media in the literary world, where things have gone with the written word and whatnot. It's just, a, it's a very witty comedy, very rapid fire dialogue, got a lot of screwball elements in it. And it's very unassuming as far as how SAS shoots his films. Like it's shot in 16 millimeter. It's not like outwardly showy, but at the same time, you still get a sense of like claustrophobic spaces just based off how like French architecture works and everything. It just, it's, it's, it's a really great film as far as kind of bottling people next to each other and giving lived in performances, speaking in a way that's, very funny but also like there's a lot of biting remarks and whatnot made back and forth it's just it's a it's a very clever film i, I very much enjoyed it and um i'll mention this too uh the hateful eight uh which uh, we've talked about plenty of times before on this podcast when the movie actually came out but it was released on netflix uh recently in an extended version um and because netflix is terrible about saying hey this is a thing we did uh we had to wait all the way until slash uh, brad one of your colleagues in slash film chris Evangelista, right? He got like an exclusive interview with Carantino to talk about what happened. Indeed, he did. Yeah, Chris put in the legwork, and uh, once we heard about this, and we were we were all just kind of just wondering why? Why did they do this? What's going on? Is this something that Quentin Tarantino approved? Uh, yeah, and, and we just we reached out to his reps, and it took them a little while to get back to this. But then 
they we were they were able to get us in contact with him and yeah he just had a very uh nonchalant casual chat and explained to him exactly you know why he wanted to do this and yeah it was it was pretty cool yeah so the way they presented it here on netflix is that it's as opposed to being the full feature it's been divided up into four different episodes so it seems like it's almost like a miniseries and which is apparently by design based off what tarantino and his editor fred raskin did so the film is there is actually is more footage than you've ever seen before, and then it's chopped up with the opening credits and the ending credits of the tail end of the front and back of each episode. Of course, it's Netflix, so you can just kind of skip past the end credits if you want to watch it all the way through, which I basically did. I watched the first part one night and then watched the remaining three the next day. And the, it's not like there's a giant difference in The Hateful Eight as far as how I take that movie versus when I've seen it before. Um, at the same time, it is interesting to watch, and I do. I'm a big fan of the film, so it, it's it's neat to see a a kind of alternate take on it, even if it doesn't drastically affect the movie. But I still wanted to point it out because I thought that's it's it's more interesting than just watching the Hateful Eight again. It's like, oh, he did this, so okay, great, good for <laughs> good for Tarantino, I guess. Yeah. Um, all right, well, that was on a quickies. Yep. Let's move on now. Let's get to our trailer talk for the week, where we talk about one of the newest movie trailers, when it's coming out, what we thought of it, what have you. This week we are talking Sonic the Hedgehog, the live-action adaptation of the popular Sega franchise, uh, which features James Marsden as Random Human, Ben Schwartz <laughs> as the voice of Sonic the Hedgehog, and obviously Jim Carrey as Dr. Robotnik. Um, all of those things. Uh, Brad, let's start with you. What did you think of the trailer for Sonic the Hedgehog? Woo-hoo-hoo, boy! Uh, <laughs> <laughs> This movie is a uh, just an absolute wonder, a treasure, uh, some, something that you, you hold in your hands and you just look at it and you think, oh my gosh, I can't believe this is something that is in front of me right now. Um, having said that, it is the worst treasure that I think oh. that anyone could find. <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this movie feels like it is 20 years too late, um, and maybe even 25 years too late. It's it has the flares of, of an old school '90s movie um, with character design that is perplexing, and thankfully they decided decided they're going to be changing it because the character design for Sonic the Hedgehog is is dreadful. The only redeeming quality about this, and not even in a good way, is Jim Carrey going back to being that '90s Jim Carrey who was over the top, ridiculous. Uh, we're talking like the Mask and Batman Forever kind of Jim Carrey. Uh, and as somebody who grew up loving both of those movies and loving Jim Carrey, that is exciting to me on one level, but it doesn't make the movie look good by any means. It just it looks confusing and weird. And I, I haven't kept up with Sonic the Hedgehog on the, like, the next generation system games. Like, my experience with Sonic ends at the Sega Genesis, basically. Mm-hmm. So... I'm confused. Do do rings actually open up portals in the Sonic <laughs> video games now, or is this something that was made up just for the movie? Not that I remember. There's, mine mine also mean, ends with the with the Genesis. There's there's a, rings have done things in the Genesis game as well as the like beyond. Like at the end of certain levels, you can go like you like 
just run through a ring and you disappear or whatnot or what like and or like there's bonus those are the big involved. rings that you have to go to the emerald yeah the, yeah, the big rings oh like you're that. right you yeah. know what yeah i do remember that now yeah there yeah. were big rings that you jumped through to go to like a different level yeah and like i believe oh. like the the carts one of the, at least what there's like multiple sonic cartoons i think two of which were like running simultaneous to each other but like one of which like the ring was like a some kind of like it was like in place of chaos emeralds you just became super powerful by having a ring it's weird i i feel like we're all gonna have pretty much the same regard for this but matt do you have any any differing opinions on the sonic the hedgehog trailer honestly i agree with pretty much everything that brad said the only thing that i do have a differing opinion on is and this is um something that we talked about on our show as well i think that it's setting perchance a bad precedent that jeff fowler is going back to do a redesign of the character um seeing as how the online reaction was so negative um not only does it put strain on the vfx artists uh which is obviously a well-publicized issue that vfx artists do a lot of work for very little to no pay um but on top of that it's just another example of a filmmaker giving into the hive mind of social media instead of sticking to their guns. And I, I, I hate to see that sort of thing happen. Uh, now, I, I probably want to take a guess that it's coming from a genuine place. Uh, but especially if, you know, if you find out that there's like studio interference and they're like forcing them to make that decision and stuff. I don't know. It's just like a, like a very messy kind of a situation. One that I don't like to see happen to necessarily anyone for that matter, especially, you know, cause film is such a, such, such a draining, uh, effort <laughs> in that mm-hmm. you put your entire soul into making a feature and, uh, some, and if you're lucky, you get to make more than one feature. And so, uh, my heart really does go out to anyone that worked on this movie uh, and, you know, to receive the feedback that they did, uh, because quite honestly, I didn't think it looked all that bad in terms of the uh, rendering of Sonic, because I didn't like it's like you have to ask yourself, what are they going for? Are they going for a realistic CGI figure or are they going for a Rocky and Bullwinkle style cartoon character yeah, sort of thing you know there's a middle ground though and I think the the the, the marketing for Detective Pikachu proves that alone you know because they they take all of the cartoonish designs of those pokemon and they translated them into the real world in a fashion that gave them a sense of being tangible but without losing what gave them their signature look and this sonic the hedgehog looks barely anything like what the sonic the hedgehog in any of the video games looks like his the the body proportions are too much like a real person and you have this giant head on it and just the eyes and teeth are are weird enough. Uh, yeah, the eyes looked uh, awful. My, my other yeah. my other thought on that. I mean, and I don't I don't think any of us discount the fact that yes, obviously it's it will be a strain on VFX artists that they have to go through this kind of thing and work unpaid hours or what have you. That's that's not great. I get I get the the lot the line of thinking there. I don't think anyone disagrees with that's an unfortunate thing. At the same time. Don't you, aren't you supposed to like focus test these kind of ideas with an audience before you like go full in on certain designs like this? Like, isn't this a thing that you kind of do in the filmmaking process? You're supposed to, <laughs> right? I mean, yeah, I don't, I don't know where that ball was I, dropped. I, I'm not, I'm not going to say like you know it's it's merely again, social media because Aladdin exists for, for like so. not liking this thing, but it's like because Aladdin exists. <laughs> <laughs> So, and, I mean, you know, you got to ask yourself that question, right? Like, who approved that design then? <laughs> so, I will say, I, 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 I get what you're pro- saying, though. Yeah, I mean, it makes if, sense. If you're making this thing that needs to rely on this look, 
I feel like you kind of want to test that, and if you're literally scaring children or giving them a giving them a wrong impression, like I can't I can't speak to everybody here. I can say the friend of the show, Scott Mendelson, he talked about how his kid just thought Sonic looked ugly. Like that was like, that's that's the bottom line. I mean, if that's the general. Part of, the, part of me wonders if the motivation for his body design is because they wanted to have that thing in there where he's like clearly been stealing shoes or or at least going <laughs> or at least been going through them very quickly because of how fast he is and yeah, and, it's, it's, and, and be wearing out well yeah and, and in order to do that i would imagine they had to proportion him so that he was able to wear what human shoes would be um but even then like that's not a good enough reason to uh, do that yeah the other <laughs> thing... i will say this um you know yeah. i was not looking forward to detective pikachu really all that much until I saw actually this trailer, and I immediately did think to myself, "Wow, Detective Pikachu looks like Blade Runner now compared to this." Like, <laughs> and not just because it actually does borrow design elements from Blade Runner, but like, it, it just truly goes to show you this is like the worst possible case scenario, and this is at least another scenario where if you do things right, it still may not be amazing. But at least it's a more ideal version than whatever the hell this is. Well, yeah, I mean, P- Pikachu, for what whatever it is, and I don't know, I see it tomorrow. I'm looking forward to watching it. But it looks like, quote unquote, a real movie. It look it looks like, it it looks it doesn't look like product. It looks like hey, we actually tried to do something here. Where Sonic looks like looks like okay, we just like threw a dart at the Let's board and said we games. haven't adapted Sonic yet. Let's try that. Let's see how that goes. Like that's yeah. kind of the impression that I get. Which I guess some of my things thoughts that I have a problem with: not enough chili dogs, not enough Jalil White. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean the that's a deep cut. Well, yeah, Jaleel White, famously the voice of Sonic the Hedgehog in the cartoon. <laughs> <laughs> but, I, I don't yes, disagree. Arguably his most famous role. Yeah. No other role. <laughs> was I, nothing else comes to mind, Brad. <laughs> and I want to just say for the record, too, poor James Marsden. <laughs> like, I mean, he's getting cast in Taco Bell commercials for dramas, which are fantastic, to be honest. But You would have thought he learned his lesson after Hop. That's what I was thinking. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think the guy just likes to have fun, honestly. If between this and those said Taco Bell commercials, the dude seems like they he's just having fun. Right. There are hundreds, thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of other ways to have fun than starring in a Sonic the Hedgehog movie. Uh, I mean, do you those hundred thousands of ways pay a millions of dollars? I mean, he's, he's I mean, listen, he he plays dress up in a Disney princess movie. He plays dress up in a uh, western on television. I think he just likes playing uh, dress up in these like fun types of uh, movies. And when it's not like a period piece, like in the case of this, he just wants to be a part of something. Like you said, fun. Uh, I mean, the guy was an X-Men for crying out loud. It's, ah, man, I just, he's not exactly, he's not one of the Chris's. He's not one of the biggest actors in the world either. It's James Marsden. Like, I think we all love James Marsden. But... <laughs> he gets to, you know, he gets that Westworld paycheck too. Like he's doing fine. I think. Yeah. yeah. I will. I do agree with you about Jim Carrey. I do think that's an element where I'm like, well, I like this. I like seeing Jim Carrey being Jim Carrey again instead of sad, depressed artist Jim Carrey. Like, I like this version instead. Which is, to be honest, after all of his tweets and his interviews lately, that's all I thought we were going to get. <laughs> so I'm actually genuinely surprised. Just like an avant-garde Jim Carrey this. that has a giant mustache. <laughs> like yeah, pretty much. World. Abe, did you have anything you know that to add about that? interview where Joaquin Phoenix went on to Letterman? I thought we were going to get that with Jim Carrey pretty soon, <laughs> where he just comes on with the beard and just puts gum on the table. <laughs> Abe, did you have but any thoughts on any, anything to add? Jim no, nothing to add. I mean, everything you guys said, I agree with. I, I really just... Uh, I, 
I, I would love for him to the director to be like, here's an FU. I'll tell you that I'm going to redesign it. But when the movie releases, it's the same thing. There you go. Yeah. yeah. I also. I, can we can we talk about Gangsta's Paradise? No. Oh, do we have to? <laughs> please, please, yes. Uh, what? Why? Why? Mm-hmm. Why? Yeah. This like because it, it's from 1994. <laughs> that song has like it, it's sure the overall vibe of the song is it has a cool sound to it, but the song itself is not about something that should be related to Sonic the Hedgehog in this way. Like, oh yeah, I agree. Uh, it's it is it's just it is so jarring hearing that song and having it paired with the imagery that is in this movie. Uh, like if if the song wasn't about you know overcoming gang fights and you know all these cultural problems, then sure those that that sound that song would fit you know in a in a way in this trailer. But you just you can't separate the two. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I can't I can imagine there was like a whole boardroom full of people throwing out like random song choices that just have a a vibe that's so like anti what we're watching to like make it work. And they're like, I guess we're deciding on Coolio. I like I guess that's that that that's where they left off with. It was He's gonna probably, make an appearance in the movie. It was probably the widest room. Um, <laughs> like they couldn't find a song that dealt with moving quick or go 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 or like some pop song or something. Well, like every, I, I, every I other trailer, every other trailer was already using either "Run the Jewels" or "London Bridge." So I mean, it's just not <laughs> enough time. I guess. Also, from what I can tell, there are no songs about driving fast or going fast <laughs> or anything like that. <laughs> <laughs> to my knowledge, Brad, no movie has ever been made like that. So, exactly. It's as hard why. to find as, as another famous role for Jaleel. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, with all that said, Sonic the Hedgehog arrives in theaters November 8th. So uh, get ready, I guess. Is the, the too thing. fast, too Sonic. Yeah. All right. Let's move on. Let's get to our main review for Longshot. Charlotte, I would like to endorse you to be the next president of the United States. Oh, my God. You've been a great secretary state which state again all of them is the secretary of state looking at us i kind of know her it's like kind of knowing a mermaid do you tell people that she probably doesn't remember who i am secretary field would like to speak with you with me i can't shake this feeling that we know each other we do we do picture me i guess maybe like 20 years younger but like this Blarsky? Yeah! What are you doing these days? I'm a journalist. You're a great writer. But sometimes you're a little too much. I don't think I am too much. I actually think I'm the perfect right portion. It's really nice to see you again. Okay! Crack it down! I'm okay! Do boys and men just call me a cracker? What is the relationship exactly? I used to babysit for him. You babysat for him? Wow, time has not been kind. I need some writers to punch up my speeches. Fred's writing is really good, and he knows me. Oh, I feel so scared. In order to write better for you, I should kind of get to know you better if you have a minute. I actually have seven. Seven minutes in heaven. (laughs) What is your favorite book as a kid? The Velveteen Rabbit. Favorite song? Must have been Love by Roxette. Most embarrassing moment. I don't embarrass that easily. I don't either, really. What's your favorite sexual position? Normal? (laughs) Front-facing normal? What kind of question is that? That's all it took. Look at you. What's your favorite sexual position? Don't be gross, Brian. Do you like date? I mean, who wants to follow me around the world and hope I have five minutes to be affectionate? Yeah. We did almost just die. We actually did almost die. We need to move you. Thank you, Agent M. 
It's Pretty Woman, but she's Richard Gere and you're Julia Roberts. Honestly, this has been the best few weeks of my entire life. We asked a thousand constituents how they would feel if Kate Middleton, I see where you're going with this, were to start dating Danny DeVito. Pretty negative reaction. The last time you got high was at a Sing Doctor's concert. We had a situation. Huh? I'm in so much trouble. What's happened? Are they out of water? Wow, he's so bendy, huh? Oh, ouch. That should have been some of the trailer for a long shot. Unless you're on Netflix, mainstream rom-coms have been more few and far between in recent years. Last summer's Crazy Rich Asians was something of an event for tackling the genre, among other reasons. Leave it to director Jonathan Levine, who's dabbled in the genre in an unconventional way before with warm bodies, to come in with Seth Rogen and Charlie Theron for a romantic comedy that makes his humor fit for Rogen's brand of humor, as well as political commentary. Rogen stars as Fred Flarsky, a hard-working journalist in between jobs who winds up connecting with his childhood crush-slash-babysitter, Charlotte Field, played by Charlize Theron, who is currently Secretary of State with the mind to run for president. Flarsky is hired on as a speechwriter, and his time spent with Field leads to an even great, greater relationship that, than either has imagined. Brad, what were your thoughts on uh, Longshot? I actually really enjoyed this movie, uh, and not that I was expecting not to, but uh, you know, a movie like this, especially one that runs two hours long, uh, sometimes it can be kind of hard to justify that kind of length for a movie like this. But uh, I never felt bored. I, I think the chemistry between Seth Rogen and Charlize Theron is surprisingly good. Uh, Charlize Theron clearly can do anything. Uh, she's just a fantastic actress. She she does just so many different kinds of roles, and she's great in all of them, from you know being a total badass in Atomic Blonde and Mad Max Fury Road to you know being this uh, uh, a, a depressed, struggling mother in Tully and uh, this you know raging bitch in young adult and now she's this you know charming uh you know hard-working secretary of state who you know is inspiring in a lot of ways and you but it, it has been unable to really enjoy her life and kind of finds you know a, a bit of uh charm and love in seth rogan and i think seth rogan uh, this is actually i think one of his better performances as you know and every man uh who who gets the girl you know he's he's done this role uh plenty of times before and this time, I think, is the best when he's convinced you that, like, he is worthy of it. And he's extremely charming in this movie. Um, dashing, I would say, even. And, yeah, I just I just enjoyed see, seeing these two together. The supporting cast is also great. O'Shea Jackson um, Jr., I, I would love to see him pop up even more. He's just, he's he's a great uh, character to have in, in comedies and, and movies like this. Uh, Bob Odenkirk in his, his small role is great, too. Andy Serkis. Good luck spotting him because holy crap, <laughs> the makeup department did an unbelievable job. It took me half the movie to realize that it was him. It was only because I looked at his eyes and saw Smeagol. Um, <laughs> the, the, the makeup and the voice that he puts on is just, it is totally transformative. It, he disappears into that role. Um, but yeah, it's, it's very funny, very charming. Uh, there's, I, I, when I was watching this movie, I, I felt like we. We know, obviously, the romantic comedy isn't really around as strongly as it used to be in, like, the 80s and 90s. And uh, between this and, and movies like Crazy Rich Asians, like, I've honestly started to miss it. As, as mediocre as the romantic comedy can be, 
if there are movies that are as good as this and Crazy Rich Asians, like I want to see more romantic comedies like this because they're they're good, they're they're fun. Uh, you know, it's there's a lot of potential just to you know really give people like romance that earns your respect and like you know earns you know the sort of the just the, the glass like look you, uh, you get when you have like you're, you not that you, this movie made me cry necessarily but you, you you get like that warm feeling when there's like a nice romance on screen mm-hmm. and i feel like a lot of times romance now has become mostly a subplot uh in other kinds of movies and i think when the movie focuses on it like this um and it brings a lot of good you know uh sharp humor and performances with it that it's it shows like how good the romantic comedy can be you mentioned the running time of two hours, and yeah, I was, I felt like oh, that's gonna, that sounds a little daunting. And a lot of comedy, a lot of modern comedies, I tend to have problem with because they tend to go over long. Where this one, I was very happy with the genuine amount of laughs there were throughout. Like it doesn't really let up in its pacing in that regard. And in addition to that, I was very happy with how it does kind of spend the work establishing who these characters are, so you believe it when the kind of romantic comedy aspect of the film finally kicks in. It doesn't just kind of go right away. You get a good 45 minutes to an hour of it setting up itself as basically like a workplace comedy, where you have Seth Rogen coming into an environment that he's not necessarily all that keyed into, even though he's the character is supposed to be a you know a, a solid writer and someone that can do punch-up work and whatnot. But like it, it does the work to establish what the ideals are for both characters. And even if they kind of differ a little bit, you still get a sense that they have a mutual respect for each other. So by the time like things like escalate in that area, like it, it makes sense. Like it, it it adds up. It helps that Seth Rogen tends to have chemistry with everybody. Like anyone he's paired up with, it tends, regardless of how that pairing works, he just knows how to kind of get along with people. And I, mm-hmm. I think that makes everything kind of feel more naturalistic as far as why you're seeing you know, him interacting with various characters, whether it's Charlie Theron or O'Shea Jackson, they kind of all just work. It seems like there's a friendly vibe there. Everybody, this is my best friend, and he just lost his job today, all right? He's at rock bottom. It's not that bad. And I'm going to make him feel better. I'm going off grid till tomorrow. Matter of fact, everybody's got the day off. Everybody's got the day off. Y'all got the day off. Everybody go home. I'm so appreciative of all you guys' hard work. I love every single one of you, except you, Tad. Bagel Friday is for everybody, Tad. You don't think we know you taking the bagels? Yeah, Tad, not cool. Xander, yeah. I need two cans of the Pamplemousse LaCroix. Yes, uh-huh. I need that filled with Johnny Walker Blue and CBD oil. Do you want one? Um, and I, yeah, I do think the movie's quite funny. I think it's quite effective in what it's what it's doing. I even think the the political angle it takes, I think we'll talk about that more as we get into it more, but it, it, it has a kind of, almost like Sorkin, it kind of... It takes a side, but still tries to present like a rosier version of things, even while it takes certain jabs, um, which I think are pretty clever and funny when they happen. Um, but yeah, there's just a fun movie here. There's a solid supporting cast as well, and I do think O'Shea Jackson, he's steel scenes that he's in. I think he's really funny um, with what they give him to do. And yeah, no, there's just there's there's a lot to like about this movie. I think it's just very effective in what it's trying to do. But uh, Matt, how about you? What do you think of uh, Longshot? Oh, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was uh, immensely entertaining. And I, I actually am a fan of the Seth Rogen humor uh, that he deploys in all, pretty much every single one of his movies for the most part. And here it was nice to see Jonathan Levine uh, really tap into uh, that brand a little bit more than uh, than what we saw in something like, say, 50-50. Uh, but what was very striking to me about this was not just the irresistible chemistry between uh, Seth Rogen and Charlize Theron, 
but um, how they did try to strike a balance, if you will, between the comedy and the sweetness. Uh, and when I say comedy, I'm talking about the more raunchy bits, because this is a Seth Rogen, Evan Goldberg uh, production, after all. So, you know, you have your, your weed jokes and you got your dick jokes and, you, you know, all that's all mixed in here. But then also, too, they're also trying to take that political element. And it's very, very left leaning uh, in terms of its viewpoint. With the exception of one uh, scene uh, between O'Shea Jackson Jr. and uh, Seth Rogen where uh, they really do kind of call out a little bit of hypocrisy, if you will, which I also found to be interesting. And that's where I started to get the sense that the film was maybe trying to do a little too much. And the elements that it did well, it did really, really well. And by that, I mean anything with Charlize Theron and Seth Rogen uh, together on screen. That always worked. But the political satire, if you will, like the whole... Steve Bannon, Andy Serkis type character and such. It got to a point where I was like, all right, are they trying to go full tilt into outrageous comedy? Or are they really trying to play this uh, a little bit smarter and a little bit more uh, mature? And it was there in terms of striking that balance that I started to feel like the film was losing me at times. I agree. Especially because um, when you get to the end, you realize that this is a movie that is nowhere in any world definitely not our own this is not a film soaked in realism it is soaked in idealism uh like you can't convince me for a single second that uh seth rogan somehow some way uh ends up being a match with this elegant beautiful powerful uh, i'm gonna just <laughs> emphasize again immensely beautiful person that is wait did you Charlie make the slideshow in the movie <laughs> no i'm just saying that like it, it, it like there, there were just certain elements to it that i just uh had to kind of surrender myself to a little bit and um but it was but it was hard to though when i could tell that they were they were trying to get me to take this seriously at times and i didn't know how much they wanted me to take seriously versus uh uh make me let go so to speak i think that speaks mostly to where things go and just how things are pronounced at the end um without kind of oh i thought they it. wrote themselves to a corner at the end and i had no idea how they were going to resolve it and all i all i said to myself was okay they can either go for a very realistic and poignant ending that could be considered bittersweet or they can go for a completely unrealistic ending that in no way shape or form has any <laughs> any you know uh, chance of existing within the realms of reality but it'll send the crowd home happy i would yeah. say the and, line is a little slimmer these days but i do agree yeah uh, what i will say though about seth rogan is i actually do commend the man's bravery for tackling uh, the politics that he does in this be and i say that because I imagine a large portion of his fan base do not share the same politics as he does. And as a result of which, those that are going to get sucked into this movie uh, because it is a Seth Rogen, you know, branded humor type film. Uh, I think they might be a little off put by some of the things that his character uh, does in this and says. And, you know, Seth Rogen, as we all know, as we said earlier, you know, is not too different from the characters he plays on screen. And I think there's something to be said for that. Yeah. I mean, he's Canadian, but yes, mostly, yeah. He's <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Yeah, I totally forgot beautiful about Canadian that. charm. Right. Yeah. Abe, what did you think of Longshot? Hey, wait, 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 wait. Speaking wait. of Canadian, can we also talk about our favorite Canadian in this movie really quick? Oh, <laughs> Alexander Skarsgård. Alexander Skarsgård's character. Yeah. 
<laughs> you want to talk about someone who I think stole the movie at times. Uh, Charlize Theron is obviously best in show. There's no doubt about it. But my God, every time Alexander Skarsgård was on screen, <laughs> that was just so sublime. <laughs> He's got to do more comedies. That's for sure. Uh, I would also like to commend uh, June Diane Raphael uh, yeah. for being a great yeah. foil for Seth Rogen and the romance overall. Um, without being a caricature, though. Um, like, yeah, she, um, it was a very, uh, well-written character, very funny to, um, just a, a good sort of adversary, um, while also being a voice of reason, but never, never like becoming like a, a straight up, like, you know, silly romantic comedy villain. Exactly. Yeah. yeah her, I exactly. mean, Ravi, Ravi Patel has less to do, but yeah, I mean, both, I think the staffers, Judea Raphael in particular, yeah, they give them things to do that make sense in the world of the film. Uh, especially comparatively to some of the other things that take place in the film, I think it makes it works, and and it's you know again it's very funny, like just the way the scene they have in the hallway together, mm-hmm. is pretty terrific. That, that's really really funny. Yeah. <laughs> There's a woman in there. <laughs> Abe, uh, what'd you think? But as far as my thoughts on the movie, I, everything you guys said, I agree with. I mean, Brad, you used the word charming, and I would that's how I would describe this movie. It's a very charming movie, and it's very light in that it doesn't tread too heavily and. Sure, some political topics are heavier than others, but it it doesn't go crazy into um, the tropes of a romantic comedy either, which is, hey, you know, ugly guy, beautiful woman, and then I'm going to fall hard in love with her. It's like, no, it actually plays out through the course of the movie, and the reasons for him to be around her kind of make sense, uh, even though it's kind of like a quick snippet of their of their past together uh, as babysitter and, and kid, uh, which is a great uh, flashback sequence. Um, including the the blossom joke uh, that they put in there, which I laughed at when nobody else seemed to remember what Joey it's, was saying. It's in a good days. joke. Also, the kid like being dressed exactly how Seth Rogen is currently. Like that's just. <laughs> that's, <laughs> I thought yeah. that was just more of a joke. Like <laughs> this is how he remembers himself as a kid. But uh, with all that, everything that you guys uh, pretty much said, I agree with. I mean, there's nothing really to add except that. Uh, um, you know all the side characters that we have here, including all the the you know faux Fox News characters, uh, such as uh, uh, Paul Shear and I forget her name, but she was Claudio on Audio Doherty uh, and Kurt Brown. Audio Doherty and yeah, exactly. All those guys, they everybody has funny lines to deliver. You know, including President um, Bob Odenkirk. Uh, Bob Odenkirk, <laughs> uh, as he lives through his life of trying to become a TV star to movie star transition. Um, and they, they have a repeated joke, but they don't play that up too much. Um, but yeah, I really like this movie. I liked it for, for how it, uh, presented itself. And I liked it, how it kept going, the ride kept going. And you were just thinking to yourself, you know, when is the other shoe going to drop in which it kind of gets a little bit off the rails. And to be honest, you know, Matt, you definitely touched upon it, which is, it becomes a little bit more of a fantasy at one point in the movie. Um, you know, not that not that this isn't not that this isn't impossible in real life, but it, it certainly becomes like, well, it, for all the decorum that this person has brought to the screen, all of a sudden it gets dropped. It and, drops and completely. Gotta, yes, yes. Yeah, we, we've got to get to the end of the movie, and here's how we're going to do it. And it's like, okay, that, that's fine. Uh, but as it went through before that point, I was like, wow, this is a solid movie, and I'm surprised that I'm liking it as much as I did. So uh, overall. Uh, Pretty fun date night movie. Go check it out. I want to ask a question I asked on my on my podcast uh, because of the way that it ends and how it gets there. Do you all see any kind of sequel potential with this? I want to say no. I would say no only because the box office clearly isn't doing it any favors. <laughs> 
That's I, fair. I, I do feel there's interesting storytelling possibilities, though, in terms of, you know, showing uh, the continuation of their relationship in this uh, point in their lives. I, w- I would have said no if you asked me that about Neighbors, and then they made a sequel to Neighbors, which also still had plenty of territory to mine. So I would say, okay, I mean, if regardless of, yes, the box office not being super strong is there more potential for what you could do next with this and how things are affected because of it? Yeah, I'd say so. I wouldn't necessarily say like, I, I need to see that be written right away, but I, I can understand that as a, as an idea. Yeah, that's fair. I, Matt, Abe and I, we've all brought up kind of where we think the ending sort of goes, not necessarily South as far as laughs, but in terms of kind of the tone or realism angle that it was possibly going for. Brad, do you have similar thoughts on this or do you disagree? So wait, say it again. We Matt, Abe, and I seem to all kind of agree about the ending being like kind of going off the rails a bit in terms of what it was kind of going for beforehand. Do you, do you have similar thoughts or do you disagree? Uh, yeah. I mean, I don't know. I, I it never really felt like it went off the rails to me. I mean, it's I, I think it all fits in perfectly well with exactly what kind of movie it is. I mean, especially when you consider. You know, the opening of the movie being pretty outlandish itself. I mean, yeah, this is a right. movie, you know, where Seth Rogen jumps out of a window and smash lands on <laughs> a car somehow seemingly doesn't have any broken bones or anything. Uh, so I think so. There, there's already he, he was you know, surprised too. <laughs> it's, it's, this, it's like I, I think a lot of romantic comedies have this sort of uh, fantasy feel about them, not, not not in a genre way, but just in a way that like you know, this exists in a world where love fixes everything. And while this yeah. movie, I think, d- approaches the romantic comedy from a more realistic way, it still comes with that that kind of Hollywood realism. Um, and so I, I didn't feel like it really went off the rails in the end. And I, I, I actually just felt kind of, I don't know, just reinvigorated by the way everything went in the end because it was it was just kind of wonderful and lovely. And I, I also what I think helps that is how great the soundtrack is, using some pretty great uh, throwbacks from you know old romantic comedies and stuff. Right. Oh, yes. This movie made me rediscover and fall in love all over again with Roxette, and I was so happy for it. I was I just went immediately into my uh my, my iPhone after the movie and I just started playing all of their uh hits. I was like, Yes. <laughs> Plus, Thank you, long shot, for reminding me that Roxette is amazing. <laughs> Plus it has boys to men in the movie. So I mean that's you know, that's a plus right there. Uh yeah. I Brad, I don't disagree with what you're saying because I I guess where I'm what what I struggled with because I do I like the, I wouldn't say the movie like dramatically lowered for me by the time it reached its end point, but I would say I was curious how far it was going to lean into being either a political satire or being a romantic comedy. And yeah, it goes full on rom com towards the end of this movie as far as big choices that are made um, and what have you. At least it doesn't end in an airport. But at the same time, I. <laughs> I did think, okay, so we're just, like, we're on full-on fantasy territory now as far as what's going on, and even, like, the epilogue of the film as far as the things that are being shown and what's happening. I mean, it's not, yeah, it doesn't it doesn't throw me off completely, but I, did, I was curious if it was going to be like, oh, well, it's, it's had a lot of interesting, idea, like, perception of of current reality and, and kind of putting that into a film. And then, so is it going to kind of hold that up, or is it going to go in a different direction? And I just, yeah, I, I yeah. wonder what the what my if I would have had a stronger favor to the film if it did go in that other direction. At the same time, yes, I don't. It, it movie didn't become dislikable to me. It just be like, oh, right. okay, it just kind of went for this kind of more standard route, yeah. which it earns in its own way. And yes, I think the film's tone sets it up to be that kind of way. But yeah, I just 
you know, more just curious. A, a perfect metaphor for this is uh, how Seth Rogen fixes a very, very serious tattoo on his body. <laughs> that is that is a perfect <laughs> metaphor for everything that you just said, I feel like. Yeah, also, imagine its journey. Yeah. I also kind of feel like that, it, I, I don't know, the blending of politics, a lot of people were calling it uneven, but I feel like it worked in the same way that the blending of politics and more, um, I guess, dramatic romance did uh, in the American president, because which yeah. has a, a, a similar uh, plot and how the romance and the political politics tie into each other and, and that kind of thing. And this was basically just like, um, you know, a, a Seth Rogen version of the American president with that's gender swapped. So, you know, I, I, I felt like it worked very well that way. I would agree yeah. because I don't think it ta- it's that, like, even though it takes a kind of a stance, it doesn't take like a hard stance. Like it's not, it's not like an Ianucci type of thing. Like it's not, it's not going for, you know, razor edge like political commentary. It has jabs yeah. it wants to take, but it's still. And like... I think that that I think that scene between Rogan and O.J. Jackson Jr. helps it too. Oh, because for sure. Yeah, yeah. That, that's yeah. exactly the scene that I was going to bring up, which is to say that you know at, at that point, what Seth Rogan has to say in that scene, uh, and what he's saying about what O.J. Jackson Jr. his best friend has been saying to him over the years. So I was like, see, this is the ideology part that kind of gets. Uh, it depends on who's delivering the message, I suppose. There you go. Um, yeah. And it's really about like, hey, you know, we really see common ground a lot of the time, but it's just that, you know, some talking heads get in the way. And that, that part was actually really, it was brief, but it was, it was actually probably pretty powerful as well. What yeah, that I agree. They're just so funny, too. Like, I, again, I think Jackson is really funny in this movie. Like, yeah. I think he gets a lot to work with here where... <laughs> I like I liked him in Compton and like he's fine in what Den of Thieves and whatnot but and uh, what Angry Goes West but it's like dude like he has to do his like thing next to Seth Rogen who's you know now how to improv his way through scenes it's like he's got some skill too in this area it just works right. he's a funny guy the G O D and the G O P that was what that was I don't I know if that was scripted or improvised as, you know a cultural thing. <laughs> Like, I don't know if it was scripted or improvised, but I mean, yes, he, he definitely sold it very, very well. And I, I would love to see him do uh, more work like this, actually. I think that, uh, you know, out of uh, I, I would say, like, out, out of everything I've seen him do so far, this has definitely been the most uh, interesting yeah. so far. And I, I'd, I'd love to see him explore it a little bit more for sure. Question for you guys. Uh, so Bob Odenkirk, he plays a TV personality that turns into the president. That gets six, six-time Golden Globe nominee. Six, yeah, <laughs> you know that, that's when you have commitment, right? Uh, but with all that being said, you know when he has his discussions with Charlize Theron, who plays Charlotte Field, they seem very level-headed. So my question is, Bob Odenkirk, good fake president, bad fake president? Oh, he, I think he's a good <sighs> fake president as far as what the movie requires of him. You get, you get a. Uh-huh. You get a type of person that you see who can be easily manipulated depending on who's he's who he's talking with, which I think sure. shows in how the film develops. Uh, I, are you asking? Okay, are you asking good well, pictures I, I as guess far as like, like they didn't portray him as like a clown doofus in the Oval Office? You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like he he knows that he's not fit for office, but he's not clownish about it and he's not like uh he's not uh outwardly you know um a buffoon. I, so I, I guess I could appreciate that the movie didn't make. It didn't make an obvious like reference to what it's what it could be doing here. If you know, what I mean, it's not it's not making a one to one comparison with Odenkirk. Um, at the you know, so it's it's someone that considering act- that Andy Serkis was in full fledged makeup, yeah, with be the going and everything. Have it, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. They could they could have went a lot harder with this, and they didn't. 
Yeah. Which I respect just because I do think Odenkirk is having fun here. I mean, they show the clip of him in his TV show where he's like, I'm not going to nuke a hurricane. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> I, I get what kind of person he's typing, trying to play here, along with how he interacts with Field and with Circus's character. I think it, it just it makes sense to me as, like, why you would see someone like this in this role based off where we are now. It's like, okay, I can see how this guy could get could get himself elected. Yeah. Okay, good answer. Other thoughts on Longshot? Everybody's rating it, including all the small side characters. You get a lot of show, like Randall Park shows up for a Randall scene. Randall Park shows up, yeah. Kudrow shows up for a scene. Little Yachty shows up for a scene. Like, it all, you that, know. That's how I know that this movie is a few years old, just because Little Yachty shows up, and they mention Dram with Broccoli, the song. I was like, this is, like, three years old, so. <laughs> Dating I want, itself. I want to just reiterate again uh, just how phenomenal Charlize Theron is and how uh, who I don't remember I think it was you Brad who said it but she she can do anything and it just clearly shows time and time and time again and I also like that the film drew attention to this and it's both its marketing and I think if I remember correctly a line in the movie itself about how this is basically like a reverse pretty woman for a new generation and I really really like that a lot that um, it's not what you would consider uh, a remake, but essentially, you know, just taking a tired and true formula and flipping it on its head to make it uh, unique and told from a different perspective. And, you know, when you mix in both the political relevance also with the uh, the branded Seth Rogen, Evan Goldberg humor, I think it creates uh, something that feels uh, feels uh, what's the word I'm looking for. It feels um, familiar, but fresh at the same time. Earlier there, I'd also I'd add that it does it does well with this area without kind of beating you over the head with any kind of messaging. Like it, it's there, and I think it's easy to kind of see where it wants to take the film as far as what kind of conversation you can have about it beyond just the comedy aspects. But it doesn't like just nail you over the head with like this is how it should be. Like it's 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 it's, it's more nuanced than that, which I can appreciate. Yeah, I got that too from uh, like Sausage Party a lot and uh you know it's interesting too because like when we get to the end of the film where you know seth rogan's basically you know giving that whole speech about like you know people masturbate and this is your own just the way that people are <laughs> you know that's and he's a pretty like, good seth rogan <laughs> I, I i don't know I, I i try uh but in any event though it's basically you know calling to attention the same things that like uh that sausage party also called out in terms of just a level of hypocrisy uh, in that everything that everybody seems to be afraid of or everybody thinks is taboo and everybody thinks is going to just destroy your reputation and your life, it's nothing to actually be ashamed or scared of. Well, with all that said, uh, I think we can kind of end it here with the review for Longshot, but we'll do this. Matt, Matt on this show, this how we rate films is when people should go and see them. So uh, on mm. that, on that, with that understanding, when should people go and see Longshot? Uh, well, here's the deal. I like both the actors. I like Jonathan Levine. And I like that this film is not the greatest thing I'll see all year, but it's decent. And since, you know, initial word has gotten out that the box office is not doing too hot with it at the moment, I would say go out and see it right away before, uh, you know, something else comes along that takes up the money. So if you have nothing going on this week, I think it's a perfectly reasonable date movie. So if anything, for that reason alone. All right. Brad, when should people go see this movie? Yeah, I would go see it in theaters simply because uh, it's it, it's very good. It's refreshing. It's uh, definitely something different than uh, you know Avengers Endgame has to offer. Kind of counter programming to the entire blockbuster uh, summer season. 
So, you know, before the, it gets too busy and it likely gets pushed out of theaters by the impending arrival of uh, Detective Pikachu and other big movies, I think you should just give it a shot. It's it's uh, really funny and uh, very charming. Abe? Yeah, I definitely agree that, you know, it's one of those movies where if you read still the, the word that I was going to use as well, it's, it's refreshing. So if you need a break from the other blockbuster temple type movies, uh, definitely go check it out. I mean, I would say Dollar Theater, though. Like, nothing... Brad scared me when he said that it's going to get engulfed by the other films, and that that's definitely true. But as a rating, I'd probably say Dollar Theater. Like, nothing you have to run out to see immediately, but you should see it in theaters. I could lean on Dollar Theater a bit just because it, it like it's not like the, the, the best comedy of the year that I'm going to see. But at the same time, I do think it's very funny, and certainly with an audience, I think you kind of get that shared experience of, hey, we're all laughing at this thing. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, <laughs> I think that... That speaks well to like why you should go check out this movie while it's on screens because it's a uh, it's worthwhile. Uh, all right, well that was our review for Long Shot. Let's move on now. Let's get to uh, Abe. What uh, what time is it? Time for a quick game, Aaron. Let it know the fact that that's actually Seth Rogen's. Uh, that's what plays when you shave off his beard, his under undergrowth beard. Uh-huh. That is that's a, gross. That is of course the improv theme for games. Abe, what game do you have for us this week? We got a game for you guys. It's called "I'm a Member of Elected Office." Damn it! Uh, this is a game in which I'm going to read you guys a clue about a an actor who has been uh, portraying a member of office, an elected office, as you say. And if you buzz in and tell me the name of the actor in that portrayal or in that movie, you will receive a point. So Does that make trying, sense? So we're trying to guess the actor. That's correct. Okay. Right. And we buzz in by saying our name. That is correct. Yes. Oh, okay. Here we go. I played LBJ in an HBO movie called All the Way. Buzz in. Oh, or Matt. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Brian Cranston. That is correct. I I, uh, I would just like to add that I tried to buzz in, but my microphone was on mute. Oh. So that's my fault. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad that you took responsibility over that. The next one here. I won an Academy Award for playing the 16th U.S. President. Brad. Brad. Daniel Day-Lewis. Lewis is correct. Next one here. I, too, played LBJ in a small role in Selma, but you may remember me as a mob boss Aaron, in Batman. Matt, Aaron. Tom Wilkinson. Tom ah. Wilkinson is correct. He's got a great line in Selma. Um, next one here. I was nominated for an Oscar in my role as vice president in an Adam McKay film. Matt. Matt. Uh, vice president, Adam McKay, uh... Why, why, why am I blanket? Oh, Christian Bale. Fail, fail. Christian Bale is correct. <laughs> no, because I was about I was about to say a different actor from the same movie. Uh, yeah, was, Christian Bale, obviously. If you had waited two more seconds, I would have uh, gone to Brad for the steal there. Uh, thinking, next one here. I think you're thinking Sam Rockwell because it's a supporting role, but it's, but it's a movie about That's the vice exactly president. That's exactly what I was... So yeah. Like you're, you're swapping <laughs> it in your mind. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> next one here. I played a congressman who helped fund the Afghani side of the Brad. Afghani... Brad! It's Charlie Wilson's War. Charlie Wilson's War is correct. Who is I'm sorry, Tom Hanks? Yes, correct. Sorry, I forgot we were doing actor and not movie. Yeah. Here we go here. I played the president in a movie in which I wrote and directed called Head of State. Aaron. Aaron. Chris Rock. Chris Rock is correct. This is a tightly contested game. Next one here. I played Richard Nixon in a film directed by Ron Howard. Matt. Matt. Frank Langella. Frank Langella is correct. Next one here. I seemingly modeled my presidential persona after Bill Clinton in Primary Colors. Aaron. Aaron. John Travolta. John Travolta is correct. Next one here. 
I played the president because I was a presidential impersonator, and the real president was in a coma in this movie. Brad. Brad. Kevin Klein. Kevin Klein is correct in Dave. Next one here. I played an elected, or I played an elected San Francisco Board of Supervisor, uh, Harvey Milk Aaron. in the movie Milk. Aaron. Ah, shit. <laughs> Sean Penn. Sean Penn is correct. Uh, next one here. I played a straight-talking politician aided by Holly Berry in my quest to get more Brad. ideas out. Brad. Warren Beatty. Warren Beatty is correct. Bullworth. In Bullworth, yeah, it's a great song, which I think they <laughs> they they got it from a, a country song, which I never knew. So. Um, Right now, Brad and Aaron, you guys are tied. I've actually run out of questions. I'm getting a tiebreaker right now. This is super close because, M- Matt, you actually have three. Brad and Aaron both have four apiece. I was not expecting a tiebreak. Uh, so I will go to our friend Box Office Mojo here. <laughs> and There he uh, is. He was hiding yeah. in the corner. Hey, guys, how are you? It's me, Mr. Box Office. You might know my cousin, Mr. DNA. <laughs> All right. According to Box Office Mojo, between Brad and Aaron, can you name me his highest grossing uh, film as an actor? Who's highest Wait, grossing who, film? Yeah, who's highest grossing uh, film? Seth Rogen. Seth Rogen's as highest actor, grossing yeah. film as an actor. Yeah. Huh. Uh... Uh, I, the, both of you guys are going to get a fair chance. So, domestic? Uh, domestic U.S. Seth Rogen's highest grossing film as an actor, domestic U.S. Uh, Brad, do you have a, a guess for us since you're a guest? I'm going to say... Mm, knocked Up. Okay. Aaron? That's a good guess. Um, damn. Oh, you know what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> the, uh, uh, what's it? Kung Fu Panda. That is correct. Kung oh, Fu Panda oh, is correct. I, I actually thought of, like, kids' movies, not, but all I could think of was that he was the blob in uh, Monsters vs. Aliens, yeah. which is actually his second highest grossing movie. <laughs> that, was, that was very clever. Kung Fu Panda, where he plays the voice of, is it? The grasshopper. He's the grasshopper. Or Mantis. Yeah. He's Mantis. Mantis, sorry. Mantis. Uh, that is his highest grossing film. Knocked up number six. <laughs> After a lot of other voice acting, including Horton Hears a Who. Wait, so is Knocked Up his or sorry, is Knocked Up his highest live action grossing film? But I said as an actor. Yeah, but I'm I'm just asking in general. Yes, yeah, yeah. It would be, yes. What's yeah. his no, next? Because I, I was like neighbors, his neighbors. Sorry. Oh, neighbors. neighbors yeah. So that's that's yeah, what I, I was trying to think. It's like did neighbors go more than knocked up? That was where I was. But then I, then I realized, oh yeah, <laughs> Kung Fu Panda. He's a voice. In those movies voice in that. So he's acting. Uh, with that though, Aaron, you sneak a steal or you sneak a win away from Brad, uh, but very close competition among the three of you. I believe I earned the voice. Sneak it in. I believe I earned the win. <laughs> I just uh, like to add that okay, if my microphone wasn't muted, I would have had five points. You actually would have had five points. <laughs> <laughs> you would have won, Red. <laughs> All right. Well, that's how you play games. Thanks for that game, Abe. Yeah, you're welcome. Let's move on now. Let's get to some Out Now feedback. Feedback, feedback, feedback. This is where we go over some various questions and answers from our Facebook page, facebook.com slash outnowpodcast. We asked a number of questions to the listeners, and they gave us answers. And gentlemen, times they gave us questions. We didn't get any questions this week, though. Just some questions to them. All good. Uh, Brad, Matt, feel free to lend in some answers if you have any. But uh, here we go. 
Here we go. First question is, what is your favorite Seth Rogen film? Maxwell uh, writes, I would guess, uh, I would guess saying Steve Jobs doesn't quite count. Superbad and This Is the End are both favorites, although he does have quite an above average track record. He tends to be in surprisingly smart and subversive comedies. Uh, Dennis adds Knocked Up and Superbad. And lastly, Chris has 40-Year-Old Virgin, Paul, and Pineapple Express. You you, you can count Steve Jobs. It's okay, because I will say Steve Jobs. Yeah. yeah. Hands down. He's pretty great in it. Right, I mean, I don't, I don't watch Steve Jobs for him, necessarily, but if any movie that he's associated with is my favorite that he's ever been a part of, it's that. Easily. Brad, any favorites? Um, I am a big fan, uh, and this is not necessarily just because of Seth Rogen, even though he is all great in it. Um, but I love this is the end. Uh, I, it's just it's so funny to see them all together and playing these ridiculous versions of themselves, uh, Seth Rogen included. Mm-hmm. I tend to lean on this is the end. Uh, I have a very soft spot for Pineapple Express. I just think it's very funny in what it does. And I, yeah. think, I think Knocked Up, I tend to look at that as my favorite of the Apatow-directed films. So, Yeah, definitely uh, Apatow-directed. Uh, and, you know, I'll echo that, too. Pineapple Express is one of my favorite comedy films ever made. I, I genuinely really do love that film it has, a lot. The 80s vibe that it goes for, I think, is very effective in the movie. Uh, all right, next question you have here. Uh, what are some of your favorite political comedies? Chris writes The Great Dictator, Team America, Dave, and The Interview. Yes, I'm very immature. Uh, Stephen has Veep is hilarious. Justin writes Dave, the American president in election. Tyler has Dick. Emma has Dave and Wag the Dog. Philip has The Castle. Maxwell has In the Loop, Dave, the American president, Wag the Dog, Woolworth, election. Heck, even Duck Soup sort of counts. There's a lot of good ones. Uh, Christopher has Head of State, Dr. Strangelove, Dave, my fellow Americans. I am all about Dr. Strangelove. Uh, there's a lot of here that have been mentioned that are great as well. In the Loop is another favorite. But yeah, Dr. Strangelove is my easy yeah. go-to for this question. It's a, it's not a comedy, it's drama, but there are some funny elements. So I'm going to just throw in the West Wing. Um, does South Park, Bigger, Longer, and Uncut count? I'm going to say yes. There's plenty of political satire. Yeah, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of political commentary there. Then, then I will, uh, you know, because you listed off quite a lot that are really awesome, and uh, I, I will throw that one in there. Uh, I would also like to add, thank you for smoking. It's a great oh, one. Oh, yeah. If, uh, it's not as good as Tommy Boy, but I have a soft spot in my heart for Black Sheep. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, um, Death of Stalin is... Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. It was on my top yeah, ten last year. I love Death of Stalin. Another Armando yeah. Inucci. Yeah. yeah, if you haven't seen Death of Stalin yet, uh, go out your way to see it. Fucking brilliant. <laughs> Not on Blu-ray. <laughs> Only I on... want that to be the pull quote for the cover of the Blu-ray. <laughs> Fucking brilliant. It really is. I think it'd be great. Yeah. Uh, next question. What is your favorite Charlize Theron performance? Justin has Fury Road, Two Days in the Valley, Mighty Joe Young, Italian Job. Alan has Devil's Advocate. Jenny writes Atomic Blonde, The Road, The Devil's Advocate. Mike writes Prometheus. Jim has Fury Road. Chris has Monster and Fury Road. Christopher has The Italian Job, Aeon Flux, The Devil's Advocate, Mad Max Fury Road, and Atomic Blonde. And lastly, Dennis adds Fury Road. Where are the mentions for Monster? Only oh one, God. Chris. Yeah. Do people revisit? I mean, there was one, but do people re- do people like go back and like I gotta watch Monster tonight? It's so like exhilarating to watch that over and over again. 
I mean, it may not be the most enjoyable, you know, movie experience, but I mean, it's head and shoulders, probably her best work. Um, I mean, everything else you listed there, though, is definitely the type of stuff that I'm sure, you know, rewatchability is a factor for sure. Now, we um, also mentioned adult, which I would add to the list. Arrested Development. Arrested Development, where she plays, does she play the person I can't remember? No, she plays a possibly mentally challenged British spy. Yeah, 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 that one. Maybe I said it in just nicer terms. What do you like more, uh, her performance in Atomic Blonde or Mad Max Fury Road? Mad Max Fury Road. Yeah, absolutely, Mad Max Fury Road. Yeah. I, I know a lot of people really, really love her in Atomic Blonde, and I, I got to give her a tremendous amount of credit for some of that uh, stunt work that she did in that. That yeah. was pretty amazing. Also equally good, James McAvoy in that movie. And, oh, yeah, shout out to how underrated she was in Tully last year. That got no love at all. Yeah, that was pretty great performance. That's, like, one of those, like, missed opportunities that people kind of maybe didn't see in theaters. But it, she was It brought me fantastic. all the way back to uh, Young Adult, another performance that, like, just went under the radar, you know, from Jason Reitman and uh, Diablo Cody. Great meltdown speech. Oh, yeah. Yeah. All right. All right. Uh, next question we have here. What toy needs a film adaptation next? This is in relation to Ugly Dolls. Uh, Mike writes Hot Wheels live action. Which <laughs> I think been, we got that it's with been, like an awesome. air ball joint. <laughs> it's been threatened for years. No, that was Need for Speed. That's a video I game. know, but, but that's what's going to be the same they, thing. They, they've been threatening Hot Wheels for years. Uh, what's his name? John Dijkstra, visual effects artist. He, he jumped off of Spider-Man 3 to do the Hot Wheels movie. That never happened. Um, <laughs> Interesting. Philip has lawn darts. Michael Lee, friend of the show, he he has the Sum Sum dolls. Alan has Bop It. That'd be great as a horror movie. That would be great as a horror movie. And Todd has Mad Balls. Don't know what that is. Those are like kind those bouncy balls that have like mad faces on them. Mm, okay. Just, he put a picture on the on the page. Ah. Uh, uh, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna leave it up to these guys. They they sound like they've got good ideas here. <laughs> Micro machines. Have... micro machines. I want to see a micro machines movie. Micro machines. Yeah, nice. Would that be so? Would that be a film where there's cars and they get suddenly turned into micro machines? Like they just no, no. It's small? actually just a world of micro machines. Yeah, it's a tiny. It's like um, it's like a take like take Fast and Furious and set it like on a world the size of a snowflake, like like how the Grinch stole Christmas. Okay, I like this idea a lot. <laughs> Universal is going to have a, 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 an attraction for years to come. Also, Street Sharks. Yes! Yeah! Are those again, the rollerblading ones? Yes. Are, yes, are there exactly. any other kind of Street Sharks you're aware of? <laughs> <laughs> those guys were cool. They didn't need water to survive. Exactly. Yeah, they're Street Sharks. They were awesome. That <laughs> uh, next question, unless, Matt, you have an answer. I actually really don't, because I, I'm i having a hard time like remembering toys when I was a kid, to tell you the truth. Um, Slinky, the man, movie. Yeah, I don't know. It's like it's interesting, because I keep going back to like Toy Story in my mind, uh, yeah. which is, oh, man. I mean, what about Rock'em Sock'em Robots? Did anybody ever do anything with that? Well, they were kind of just had a quick sequence. Real Steel. We had Real Steel. There was at one time a Rock'em Sock'em Robots in the works. It just never panned out. But yeah. Yeah. Was it also produced by Robert De Niro? <laughs> what? I don't know. <laughs> you know <laughs> what? I know. Yeah, I, know yeah. it's a, I know it's a board game, but I, I was always very curious about Ridley Scott's Monopoly. Yeah. 
I'm still, I, I just hope he's still pursuing that. I hope he's secretly behind the scenes, like working on both an alien wrap up and a Monopoly movie. Well, right now he's only at Marvin's Gardens. He's got to get all the way around to the boardwalk and then finish it. <laughs> yeah, so, that you know. makes sense. Um, no, what's your, uh, what's the last serious film you saw where you couldn't help but laugh? Uh, Chris has, I laughed in the Antichrist, but I was so emotionally drained that it was nervous laughter when, se- when something got crushed. Um, uh, on a happier note, all of Jaws 3. And lastly, Alan has Pet Cemetery 2019. Was there a movie in which it was supposed to be serious or somber, and you just couldn't help but laugh? I t- Serenity, hands down. <laughs> I mean, that, that's a ridiculous premise anyway. <laughs> but it but it plays it seriously. That's the part that gets me. It's unbelievable. <laughs> I would uh, I would agree there with Alan of Pet Cemetery and honestly, The Curse of La Llorona, where obviously yes, it is. It's like a you know it's like a fun house horror movie at, at points, yeah, yeah. but there is, I just had so much, <laughs> I, I had so much humor thinking what La Llorona is doing when she's not involved haunting these children. I was like, well, what else is going on here? <laughs> she she sometimes needs a bath crying. on her. What Brad? What was that? Brad? Always crying. Brad? Always crying. Yeah. Always yeah. crying. Yeah, in the forest. Where does La Llorona hang out? Not like. Is like is she known to be like oh she's in a cave somewhere or no? What was the I mean there? based off the premise she just kind of exists and occasionally haunts these children. It's like you could get this job done in like five minutes and move on to the next house. I just don't know what's taking so long. I mean to be fair, you could ask that of any ghost. <laughs> it's true. I do. I I I constantly think that in the paranormal activity movies where it's like. I mean, day one seems like you got the goal. You you open the door, like just go and finish the job. Like, I don't know what else is next here. A lot of uh, suspense. That's it. I like the paranormal activity movie, so I don't know. I don't know what to think anymore. <laughs> All right. Last question we have here: Who are your favorite fictional movie presidents? Alan writes Harrison Ford from Air Force One, and Kevin Klein and Dave. Justin has Bill Pullman in Independence Day, and Kevin Klein and Dave. Christopher has President Whitmore from Independence Day and President Lindbergh from The Fifth Element, or Tiny, Tiny Lister Jr. Uh, Dwayne has Michael Michael Douglas from American President. Uh, Jerry has Lincoln, to which I question fictional. Um, Scott writes uh, he had Peter Sellers in Doctor Strangelove. David has Mel Brooks as President Scroob in Spaceballs. Uh, Sarah has I Love Jamie Foxx in White House Town. Emma has Bill Pullman in Independence Day. Renee has Michael Douglas in The American President. Morgan Freeman in Deep Impact and Bill mm-hmm. Pullman in Independence Day. And then Michael Lee has Jack Nicholson from Mars Attacks. Solid answers all across. I'd like to add uh, James Garner and Jack Lemmon from My Fellow Americans. Okay. Mm-hmm. Which is not a very good movie, but I like it a lot. It, they're, they're, their chemistry is good enough. Like they were. Yeah, exactly. yeah, they're, yeah they're the, the playful rivalry they have between each other is what, what makes it. Also, fun, fun, fun fact... Little tiny role for Michael Pena in that movie. Huh. Dan Aykroyd's in there too, right? He's like, he's yeah, like, he's, he's the he's he's the president while they're uh, on the run. Yeah, during the whole thing. Yeah. yeah. Well, I've got a question here. So at the end of Terminator Three, when all the nukes are going off, and and John and uh, Claire, his, Claire Danes, Claire Danes, I was gonna say his girlfriend, but they're not really dating. Uh, does he become de facto president? I don't think that's how it works, Abe. Okay. <laughs> he wasn't elected, but I was like, now he's leading the resistance? Well, based off Terminator Salvation, which we all remember very well, Christian Bale is not the leader of the resistance that at is, that, that point. That is correct, yeah. Plot twist. <laughs> yeah, he's he's merely a cog in the machine. He's high, he's highly looked upon by some, but I think like Michael Ironside is the 
like the leader at that point or something. That movie sucks. I don't know. But I, I think I'm pretty. I'm pretty <laughs> sure it's Michael. Was in that movie. I'm pretty sure it's Michael Ironside. <laughs> I think he's. Like, <laughs> uh, anyway, I I mean uh, Bill Pullman's my kind of go-to on this kind of question when it comes to fictional yeah, he's president. Although I like Jack Nicholson's speech in Mars Attacks, where we still have like two out of three of the executive branches, and that ain't bad. Like that makes me laugh a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Again, Jed Bartlett, the West Wing. Yeah, if we're gonna do TV presidents. I, I'm, I'll throw uh, D- D- President David Palmer from 24 out there. Well, yeah, but we're not doing TV presidents. Abe oh, trying to set up some president okay. for Matt. <laughs> uh, All right, that's fine. Of, uh, Emmys, though. So anyway, right. what about um, what about uh, Morgan Freeman in Deep Impact? Yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. Totally. Oh, and uh, I, I really, really do not like these movies at all. But uh, the the ones with um. The one with uh, Butler. Oh my God! And it's, oh, the Butler. Yeah. Lee Daniels. Lee, no, Lee Daniels. The, the Butler. Olympus. Olympus has, has fallen. fallen. Oh, Gerard Butler. Okay. Yeah. 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 Eric Eckhart has the fallen, and and his next one that's coming out this summer, which I didn't know about, which I can't remember the title. Angel for. has fallen. Angel has fallen. Yeah. I can't believe that this stuff is still real. <laughs> it gets me every time. <sighs> gosh, those movies are ridiculous. Well, that was feedback. <laughs> Be back, be back, be back. Let's start wrapping things up here. Now let's move on to Out Now Presents What's Out Now, these movies that are coming out on Blu-ray, DVD, and streaming this week. Uh, first up on 4K and Blu-ray, we have The Lego Movie 2, colon, the second part. Yeah, check it out. Feel free to give a yay or nay on these as I go through them. Uh, let's see. What Men Want? Uh, heard terrible things about that. Nay. Mm-hmm. The Prodigy. Not a documentary about The Prodigy, but the horror film The Prodigy. Nay. It was a movie. I, did, hmm. I didn't hate it. Uh, Everybody knows this is the Oscar for Hottie movie. I like this one. Pretty good things. Yeah. Yay. Uh, let's see. Blaze. This is the Ethan Hawke directed uh, music biopic from last year that didn't get nearly enough press. Yay. I'm gonna go with that. <laughs> on a let's see, TV is coming out. Better call. Speaking of Bob Odenkirk, Better Call Saul season four is on Blu-ray this week. I am. Yay. I've heard good things. On Criterion, we have the Heiress. And from Kino, we have Jim Jarmusch's Broken Flowers, which I'm a huge fan of, so I'm happy to finally get a Blu-ray for that. You know what? I've never seen Broken Flowers. It's a good one. Um, let's see. Some 4K stuff. Black Hawk Down has a new 4K release. Backdraft yeah, has out. a 4K release. In check that out. Before its upcoming Backdraft 2, which comes out next week on Blu-ray. That's Is right. that... For real? Yes, starring William Baldwin, Donald Sutherland, and like whatever de facto white guy they hired to play like the new lead character. I guess they couldn't get Kurt Russell back because, you know, he doesn't have a great fate. Yeah, he died. <laughs> he Like, the trailer they showed, he does have, like, a picture on the wall where it's like, yeah, remember, he was in the first one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Forrest Gump's on 4K this week as well. Yeah, check it out. And you know I, what? I don't care that people give it a bad rap. That's still a that's still such an entertaining movie. I have plenty of fun with Forrest Gump. I think it's a I love Forrest Gump. Yeah. Great score. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know when the internet turned on Forrest Gump, but it's it's great. <laughs> And I was going to say Hannibal comes out in 4K this week, but it's been canceled because nobody wanted to buy Hannibal on 4K Blu-ray. Well, wait, wait, the, the Ridley Scott version? Yeah, the or... Ridley Scott Hannibal movie. Oh, okay. I thought you the TV series. It's interesting. It's a movie. I'll give it that. <laughs> Gary, Gary Oldman, uh, in, you know, is... He oh, certainly man. wears like... makeup, that's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's see. New to streaming this week. A couple of things here. On Netflix, we have Knocked Down the House... Um, we also... Which I've heard is fantastic. Uh, wait, Brad, have you seen that at any festivals or anything? No, I missed it when it was at Sundance. I just couldn't fit into my schedule, so I, I'm, I'm going to have to watch it on Netflix now that it's out. 
Yeah, everyone I've spoken to has said it's fantastic. We also have Extremely Wicked, Shockingly Evil, and Vile. This is the Zac Efron starring film as him as Ted Bundy. I saw this at Sundance. I watched it when it came up. Uh, I was not really a fan of it. I, mm. I think Efron's fine, but there's nothing it's really doing in this movie. Beyond saying, like, remember that guy you saw on TV who acted this way but it's really a monster? This is an impression of that. Like, that's kind of the, the vibe that I got. from the I, I do think the film is trying to get at how even even people in your life that you know very, very well and appear to be, you know, normal uh, can be anyone. And I think that th- that is a horrifying uh, prospect, uh, considering, you know, the things that we do know about Ted Bundy and how Efron does play the role in this completely innocent and maintaining that innocence all the way up until like the very end. I, I thought it was actually chilling at times and definitely the best work he's ever done in his entire career. By yeah. Far. I, yeah. I actually, I agree with that too. I, I think that that's exactly what the movie is trying to do on top of also on a larger platform, kind of just showing that like the people, uh, not even just people that, you know, but just people in general, like the kind of trust that you place in people just because, Oh, they seem like a, like an everyday, you know, nice kind of guy that I can hang out with that they might have some malicious intentions of their own as well. And I can agree with those things. I just think it, I think you get that within, you know, pretty quickly. So the movie just feels repetitive to me at that point because it's not doing anything to really shake it up beyond like just laying out things that happened in his life. And I, that's that's fair. I can I can respect that to a point because I do think Efron's doing a good job, and I think they're you know like you have Malkovich playing a judge, you have some good like mm-hmm. supporting character actors in here, but it's just I'm watching this thing and this guy's a monster, and the movie is trying it. It's not like an out-and-out comedy, but it certainly has a, a tone that it's going for where I can understand why you would do this, because it's going with the nature of the character. But at the same time, I'm just thinking, I get it. Like, I'm not, there's nothing nothing new is happening here for me to, like, understand about Ted Bundy beyond what you've already established and what I, I think, already know I think about for me, Bundy. I think ex- for me, I I think for me, I expected it to be more gratuitous. I thought it was going to be, like, a grisly, like, murder, like, slasher yeah kind of thing so when i saw what they went for instead which was more of a complex uh character study into the psyche of this guy to try and better understand from liz his wife's perspective who he was i thought that was just a more interesting take but the reactions i'm getting from a lot of people online is they they just don't want this movie to exist no matter what because it does no matter which way you slice it because of the nature of who he was it 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 is always going to come off like though as if he's being glorified to some extent, and just people have such an uncomfortability with that, that um, no matter what you do, you can't please everybody. And I, so. can, I can agree with that logic. It doesn't make me think I don't need to see this movie, or don't need this movie to exist, but I get that. I just think the movie's not entirely successful in making it work. And I didn't need it to be, you know, this kind of violent thing right. either. I just, I think the the approach made more sense to me in, like, kind of uh, what they set up versus how they executed it. At the same time, Mindhunters on Netflix is terrific, and it does a great oh, job of exploring yeah, serial good. killers yeah. without, ha- also without being gratuitous. It, it I can't so. wait for season two. Yeah. Also on Netflix, we have a uh, Dead to Me. This is a new uh, uh, comedy drama series of Christina Applegate and Linda Cardellini. Hmm. Okay. I haven't heard of this. Uh, I watched the first two episodes to see what it's like. It's neat. It's in- it's about it's about mourning uh, a lot. It's it's kind of but it has a kind of a dark comedy bent to it. Um. And lastly, this animated show, Tuca and Bertie, which is, I think, from the some of the producers of BoJack Horseman. Um, oh, yeah, I've seen some stuff for that. There's a lot of comedic talent involved in that one, and yeah, it has, like, 
to women as animals, I guess, and mm-hmm. so it has a kind of similar vibe to BoJack, but it's uh, a, it's not a Hollywood satire in the same way that that show is. Uh, on Prime this week, uh, Suspiria is now on Prime, and Woo! similarly, <laughs> Action Point is now on Prime. <laughs> That's going the, from one extreme to another. That's, yeah. the, that's the Johnny Knoxville film that nobody saw. Uh, that's right. Yeah. Abe, one of your honorable mentions, I think. I believe that it was because I was like, people like Jackass, right? <laughs> and then I guess people didn't. <laughs> All right. Next week. Next week's show will be talking Detective Pikachu. We need a hero. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and uh, last thing we do here, what should people go and see now? And what do you plan to see next? Matt, what should people see in theaters right now? Oh boy, um, that's actually a really good question. Uh, I, you know, it's very, very tempting for me to just say go see Avengers Endgame again, uh, but I don't want to because I mean Disney is already going to make enough money to spite itself. So I would say, uh, hold on, I got to pull up a list here because I, 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 I tend to blank out on these things. I would say go see Missing Link. Yeah. Which yes. is yeah. a film from Leica Animation Studios, and they are in desperate need of some of your cash. And they make really fantastic movies that earn that cash. But the problem is that nobody seems to know that these movies exist. So definitely check that out. What do you see next? Uh, next on my list, and I'm going to pull up my schedule for this because I, I, like I said, I don't like know anything. I just go off of uh, references and visual reminders now for everything. <laughs> I am uh, seeing uh, Detective Pikachu next. There right. you go. Brad, what do people see in theaters right now? Um, I'm I'm gonna say Avengers Endgame just because you know it's it's a incredible uh big screen experience, um probably one of the mo- like best theatrical experiences I've ever had, and you should definitely see it on an IMAX 2D screen if possible. That is mm. the the best way to see that movie. I saw it, I've seen it in Dolby, I've seen it in regular 2D and IMAX 2D, and IMAX 2D is easily uh, the best format. And other than that, uh, I agree with the the, the missing link um, rec- suggestion. You should definitely go see that. Um, and maybe if Shazam is still playing, go uh, go ch- go check that out. It's a, a different kind of superhero movie, and, and it's a lot of fun. Very pleasantly surprised by that one. I would, uh, yeah. Avengers is tons of fun. Shazam is a lot of fun. Uh, if you can find it, it's only on a couple screens. It expands a little more over time. But nonfiction, I do think, is a very good comedy. Um, mm. And, uh, yeah, Missing Link. I've, I've been told it's hilarious, so I will uh, recommend that You've as well. You've been told? <laughs> yeah, the ads told me. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And, oh, uh, and I, too, will be seeing Detective Pikachu next as well. Yeah, that's also, yeah, Anna and I are seeing Detective Pikachu very soon. Looking forward to it. Abe, how about you? I definitely recommend everything that you guys also talked about, but I'll throw the, our main review for this week, Long Shot, and next week, Detective Pikachu. If I can, I definitely want to check out Biggest Little Farm. Uh, that that trailer that really got me. I was like, "Wow, this is different than what I was expecting the title of this documentary to be." But... I've gotten nonstop press emails about Biggest Little Farm, so I'll see if I can hook you up with something there on that go. one. Yeah, let me know. It. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, with all that said, that's going to do with that's going to do for this week's episode of Out Now with Aaron and Abe. You can find more of my work on my personal blog, thecodeazeek.com. All my reviews end up over there, but I'm also writing mostly on We Live Entertainment and at whysoblue.com. You can also find me on Twitter at Aaron's PS4. Abe. Instagram, Abe.Mua, Twitter.com slash Walrusmoose, hashtag, oh boy, uh, and then uh, Subsex40, the podcast. Uh, Matt Neglia, where can people find more of you online? 
Well, you can find me on all the social media networks at Next Best Picture Podcast. It's called the Next Best Picture Podcast. Literally type in Next Best Picture anywhere into uh, any search bar, and you will find me there somewhere, I'm sure, at some point. We basically take a look at all the movies year-long in trying to discover what is going to be the next Best Picture Oscar winner. And yes, in certain cases where a film does not have any type of Oscar potential, we still analyze it for such either way, as we see uh, award season is not just a few months out of the year, but it is all year long. So come on the journey with us. All right. Brad Oma, where can people find more of you? Uh, you can find me writing at SlashFilm.com all the live long day. Uh, I also appear on our daily news podcast every weekday called Slash Film Daily. Uh, I'm usually on there two or three times a week. Also on Twitter at Ethan underscore Anderton. Uh, and I co-host my own podcast called Go Flix Yourself, uh, F-L-I-X, which is available on iTunes and other podcasting platforms. All right. You can find all the other episodes of Wait, Abe, did I say, did I shoot to you? Yeah, I did. You got your hashtag in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Hashtag oh boy. Yeah, got it. You can find all the other episodes of Out Now with Aaron and Abe on iTunes, Audioboom, Spotify, Stitcher. SoundCloud, Podomatic, or HHWLOD. Feel free to email us any thoughts you might have had about this episode or anything else at outnowpodcast at gmail.com. Write anything you want over at facebook.com slash outnowpodcast or tweet at us at twitter.com slash underscore podcast. As we await for the upcoming trailer for It Chapter 2, be sure to send plenty of scary clown gifts to Abe in anticipation of such trailer <laughs> at out.podcast.tumblr.com. Is, is that coming out this year? It comes out in September. Yeah, it's the week after we end yeah. the Summer Gamble. <laughs> can't, uh, can't wait for I, that. I assume, like, Annabelle Comes Home from college will be the time we get from the trailer <laughs> for that movie. <laughs> uh, Matt, th- uh, Brad, thank you both for joining us this today for the episode. Thank you both. Thank you. It was a blast. Yeah. Yeah, thanks for having me back. For sure. Glad to have you guys on. Glad to be talking about movies and all such. And uh, we'll be happy to talk about that even more next week of Tech to Peach 2. But until, uh, until next time, so long. And goodbye. One, two. Oh, river, wider than a mile. I'm crossing you in style. Someday.
My microphone wasn't muted. I would have had five points. You would have won, Red.